0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to look at it and study. We thank you for those that are here and those that will hear on the Internet. And Lord, just help us as we make plans on what we're going to do into the future and help us with this study in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amos chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Hear you this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen, and she shall return... She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred. And they that went out forth by a hundred shall leave ten. And they to the house of Israel. So this little first section says that God's going to bring judgment upon Israel. And he even tells them why. He says, hear this word. And this whole chapel, chap, chapel, chapter is a lamentation against Israel, the northern kingdom, and it says, God says, I have something against you, and even this lamentation. He says, the virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise up. And this idea of the virgin of Israel, God considered Israel his bride, and they kept going into adultery, and he would buy them back and forgive them. And then they'd go back into a spiritual adultery. (laughs) And God says, you've fallen this time, and I'm not picking you back up. I'm not restoring you. And he sent them into captivity. And then we look at this. He says, basically, he says that only 10% of your people will go back out. You send out an army of 1,000 and only 100 come back. You send out 100 and only 10 come back. And he says, this is going to be your end. And he says, you will go out and not return, basically. And this is exactly what happened to Israel. After a while, they didn't didn't return. And they went into captivity against Assyria when the Assyrians came in and took them and conquered. They kept trying to get Egypt to help them. They tried to get all these different places to help them. And God says, that's it. And there comes a time when God says, that's it. Even with Christians, if we continue to sin and continue to sin, then he goes, you're not getting any victory. He may just say, time to go home, time to get, you know, lose any rewards that you're going to have and just bring you back home. And this is something we want to be understanding and we see it all through the Old Testament as, we, as God moves forward. Uh, verse 4 says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek you me and you shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not by Beersheba, for Gilead, Gilgah shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and they be none to quench it in Bethel. You who turn judgment into wormwood, and leave off righteousness in the earth, Seek him that makes the seven stars and Orion and turns the shadow of, of death into the morning and makes the dark the day dark with night that calls the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. So here, he, here he's going in, he goes, Seek the Lord and not anything else. He says, Seek the Lord, and you shall Live. And this idea of seeking is to, worship, to seek him in prayer and worship, not just to go to, his, go to the church. And that's really what he says here. Don't go to Bethel. Bethel is where the tabernacle was. Don't go to Gilgal because that's where the temple, the tabernacle used to be. He goes, don't go to the righteous places. Seek God. And we have lots of people who will come to church. Seeking, you know, to, to supposedly find God instead of seeking God, they go to the, the righteous places. They'll they'll do what they think is the good things. And God's saying, I want you to seek after me. Not just not just follow after him, just and go to these different places. And God wants us to seek after him. And this is the great news. He was telling the Jews, don't go, basically, don't go to the temple. You know, find God. Don't follow ritualism. And this is the problem in a lot of churches. There's a lot of ritualism that people will follow. Well, and some churches, it's real simple. They come in, they go forward every week in service to rededicate their life or to get saved or whatever it is that they're doing. And it's just a form. It's just a a show. Uh, We see it in the Catholic Church with their whole confession and, and all of that. It's just a lot of show. They have no intention of Repenting, they have no intention really of seeking God. They're just looking for, tell me what I can do so that I can think that I'm having forgiveness. And this is what God's saying. Don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't basically saying, don't even bring me your offerings. (laughs) If you're not going to do it with the right attitude. And we've said this before, you know, I don't want people to give money to the church if they don't do it with the right attitude. God doesn't need their money. Now if they're, have the right attitude and they want to seek God, then give him. Give him what give him what he wants. Give him give him what he's asked for. And he says, You know, do not seek at Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, nor pass into Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. He says, These holy places are gonna fall. And they did. And even for Jerusalem, the southern kingdom kept thinking, okay, we've got Jerusalem. We've got the temple. God will never let anything happen to us. And God gave the same general message later on to the, north, to the southern kingdom. Don't trust in Bethel, uh, Jerusalem. You know, you know, don't trust in formalism. Don't trust in uh, the symbols. Trust in God. What was that, Beersheba? Beersheba is a city in the south. And it's uh, always an interesting place because David, David fled to Beersheba. A number of people have gone to Beersheba. It's in the south. And it's a, it's a righteous place. A lot of things have happened you know, in the Bible at Beersheba. So basically, he's saying, don't go to the special places. You know, in, in one sense, we see this even how many times do people try to go back to something that happened in the past? Okay, and I know somebody who tried that. And it's been very interesting. They tried to go back to where they felt spiritually alive and the town and the church, and it, it's not the same. And basically saying, don't try to go back. You know, God's mercies are new every morning. We can't go backwards to something. And this is something that we see, you know, in small denominations or something. People will try to go back to the church they were saved in or back to the pastor who initially gave them their discipleship. And if they've outgrown, you know, if they've grown beyond when they left there, then trying to go back is just not going to work. And I've seen this happen more than once where people try to go back. And, you know, the, the old adage is you can't go back home, you know, once you've left. And it's kind of true, even in the spiritual world. You cannot go back to what used to be. God says, I've got a new plan. I, I've moved on. And we've said it, you know, when God's moving forward, you're either moving forward with God or you're moving backwards. There's no standing still with God and you can't go back to where he used to be because he's moving forward. And we've got to be able to do that. And that's what he's telling them here. Quit going backwards. Seek me, says the Lord. You know, and this is something that's very true. God does not want us to, to seek the past. He does not want to seek ritualism. He wants us to seek him because he's not putting a whole bunch of things and so he's not a program God now he may give us a program he may give us a way to do it but then he's gonna move past that program at some point and we need to move along with him and then we get stuck in the program well it worked 10 years ago it's got to still work and God says no I'm way over here come come and join me where I'm at and this is why as pastors we're told to keep evaluating what's going on in our churches is what we're doing currently still of value and just because we did it for the last 30 years 40 years 50 years doesn't mean we need to keep keep doing it the way we've always done it and that's why we're going to be looking at sunday nights if it's not a good night for people we'll do something else it's going to be a good time for people Uh, but you know because there's no rule that says got to meet on sunday night it's been that way for a long time but doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen. And so we're gonna be looking at that. We're going to evaluate that uh, to see where we're going. Verse Verse six says, "'Seek the Lord, and you shall live, "'lest he break out a fire in the house of Joseph, "'and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel.'" So again, he says, "'Seek the Lord.'" And this is the same word for seek. "'Seek in prayer and worship.'" So many people will say, "'Well, I'm seeking God.'" Well, how are you seeking God? well, I'm going to church, I'm, t- I'm talking to a lot of people, and that says, okay, God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to worship him. And this is why it's so important when somebody gets saved that they make that decision that they're seeking God, not just saying words, not just thinking that what they're doing, but really seek after God and put their trust in him. Because God says, seek, pray, worship look for him because the fire is going to break out in the house of Joseph. That would be Manasseh and Ephraim. Those were the two children of Joseph that were the tribes. And it says, then they basically were the big ones in the northern, <laughs> northern kingdom. And he goes, none will be able to quench it. Verse 7, ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. And here we see him going further and he says, you turn judgment, all your judgment into bitterness. And that's what wormwood literally means is bitterness. And there are people who just misuse judgment. You know, true, righteous judgment may bring bitterness you know, to somebody's life, but it is not necessarily designed to bring bitterness. It's to say this is what should be done. And if it's given in love and and kindness, it'll draw people to God. And he says, You're you're turning judgment into something that makes people bitter. And we've all been around where somebody seems to say the right things in their judgments, but just there's no love, no compassion at all. And it just brings bitterness to, the, to it. We see sometimes with pastors, they'll come across so hard on their people that there's a bitterness that seems to be coming out rather than loving compassion for their people. And it says they leave off righteousness in the earth. So, so they abandon righteousness, they just you know, say, we're not going to do things that are right. Job's friends were kind of like this group of people. Their judgments were wormwood to Job, and they were not being righteous. They were saying, this is what we think. This is what we believe, Job. They weren't listening to God, and God is saying, Israel, you're so far from me. You're not speaking for me when you speak. My priests are not speaking for me. My Levites aren't speaking for me. You're not speaking for, for me amongst yourselves. And this is why we say to the churches, is any of our counsel biblical? If it's biblical, we can be speaking correctly. But even speaking correctly may not be just enough because if there's not love behind it, it can do hard, hard things. It could be the perfect right thing, biblical to say, but with the wrong attitude and tear people down. And here he's saying, you know, seek me, seek me. And then verse 8 goes, seek him <laughs> that makes the seven stars and Orion, turns the shadow of death in the morning and makes the dark day, the dark the day dark with night and calls the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Seek him. Again, that whole idea. And this is, starts looking at the power, the creator of the stars. And these particular stars he's talking about, the seven stars are the Pleiades. It's a, seven, a group of seven stars that are in the constellation of Taurus, up in the shoulder area of Taurus. There's a seven star grouping that's called the Pleiades, the seven sisters. It's got a lot of names in, in the ancient world. And Orion is still the same, <laughs> same constellation that we call Orion. The mighty, the mighty hunter with his foot above the, the serpent's head and getting ready to strike the serpent. Uh, we look at these things and God has put the stars in place. He says, they've got the message. They've got this, this and he says, seek him that makes the stars. Seek the mighty one. And you know, it's kind of sad in our day and age, you know, that science has moved so far to, to appear stupid in what they will say and they, there's no God, no power. Everything just randomly pops into existence. And we look at this and say, this shows a God that had a plan. You know, Seek him to put the stars in place and who turns the shadow of death into mourning. You know, all through scriptures, you know, we see God bringing the dead into heaven and giving joy to people. You know, in Psalm, it says that, God takes pleasure in the death death of the saints. Why? Because they get to go with him. Uh, David talks about in Psalms 23, yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because at the other end of death is God. Paul said it in the way that says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for a Christian, for a believer, death has no fear to us in the long run because if we go through it, we're with God. And yes, the, our friends, our neighbors, our family, they, they will be sad because they miss us. But in reality, especially if they're Christian, they should recognize we're with God and they're going to see us again. So even there, there should not be any deep abiding loss because they went home. The, the only question is when somebody dies and you don't know, that they were a Christian, then there's no hope. And I've just went through this with my, my uncle who died and we don't know where he was with God. Nice man, loving, loving man, seemed to be wanting to go after God but he was all about rich, ritualism and formalism. So we don't know, we don't know what his relationship with God is and we won't know until we get to heaven. And this is the sad place that we are at times when we, when we look at these things. And it says, he calls the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. God can control the weather. He can control everything. He, and this is the wonderful thing. God controls the stars. He controls life and death. He controls day and night. He controls the weather. And this is something that we can be able to take great confidence in. God is all powerful. Nothing happens to us that he does not allow. Now, we may not like everything that he allows to come our way. And when he's trying to get our attention, we might really not like all of what he tries to or allows to come our way. But he says, I have a plan. And it says, the person you're to seek, the Lord is his name. And this word for Lord literally is Yahweh, the existing one, the, the mighty one. He goes, Yahweh is his name. Seek after him. Verse 9, that's seek after the, his name that strengthens the spoil against the strong so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. They hate him that, rebukes the, that rebuke at the gate and they abhor him that speaks uprightly. So here he says, God strengthens the spoiled, the ones who are being taken everything away from them. He strengthens them, and they go against the strong. And this is kind of what God's saying. The, the, he joins. He will defend the defenseless. He will make them strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. And he says, if, if you're going to mistreat the poor, if you're going to mistreat people, God will come to their defense. And we see this over and over in the scriptures that God is the defender. He's the defender of the orphan. He's the defender of the widow. He's the defender of the fatherless. He says, I'm going to defend them. You want, you want to abuse them? You think that they're easy targets? God says, I will take care of them. And you don't want God against you. Uh, because things happen. You know, this whole idea of strengthening to, to come, come to a place that bursts uh, those that are destroyed. And it says, and I. this is so interesting, they that hate him, uh, they hate him that rebukes at the gate and they abhor him which speak uprightly. If you've even ever given godly counsel to somebody who doesn't want to hear it, you know exactly what this is. They show a great hatred towards you. Well, how can you speak that way? And you're just being, you know, so narrow-minded, you're not, you know, and they'll give you all kinds of crazy speech back. And here, God is saying that this is the normal thing. They, they hate to be rebuked, and they abhor those that speak right. And if you, again, ever try to give this, and it really ends up being, don't ever try to rebuke or teach somebody who doesn't want to be taught. It doesn't work. A lot of times it's just better to be silent around them because they're not going to listen anyway, and you're wasting your time, you're wasting your voice. If God tells you to, go ahead, but for the most part, they're not listening, and they're not going to listen. And it is very important because we have only so much time. You know, when I'm witnessing to somebody, if they're not paying any attention, I'm not going to spend hours trying to witness to them and argue them into, their, into my position. It's either they're going to listen or they're not going to listen. If they're willing to listen, I'll spend all day with them. But if they're not ready to listen, just open up, share something, move on. And that's what he's saying. Those who've been rebuked hate you. Huh? Oh. Verse 11 For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him the burdens of wheat, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of that, the wine thereof. For I know your manifold transgressions, your mighty sins, they afflict the just, they take a bribe, they turn aside the the poor in the gates and from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silent in that time, for, there, for it is an evil time. And so here he goes, you know, he says, you're treading upon the poor. We see that a lot in our day and age, people treading upon the poor, taking advantage of them, and, you know, thinking they're too stupid or whatever it might be. They think they can get an advantage of them. He goes, you take from him burdens. And the word here literally is taxes. You, know, you take taxes from, from them of wheat. And you have built houses of stone. And he goes, all of this, you think you're doing good, but you shall not live in those houses. And you shall not, you've planted vineyards, but you shall not drink from the vineyard. And this is something I have seen over my lifetime. People who take advantage of the poor, of the needy, end up a lot of times being judged. Maybe not right away, but I have watched it happen. When When they take advantage of people, God eventually gets hold of them and takes from them. And this is the fun thing, of being able to look back over 40 years of walking with God and saying, wow, God, look at, look at what you did here. Look at what you did here. Look at what you did here. You, know, you raised up. You know, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And when God arises, the enemies get scattered. And we want to be very sure that he's going to scatter the enemy. And here we see the promise again. The enemy is going to be scattered. They take advantage of the poor. And God says, you think you're, you're gaining great wealth? You're building your empire? I'm going to take it all away. And this is seen. He says, "In why? He goes, I know your manifold transgressions. He goes, I know your evil, your rebellions, and your mighty sins. You afflict the just. You, you are showing hostility toward the just. And you're taking bribes, and you turn aside or you or you push away the poor from the, their gate, uh, which is their right. And he goes, you're you're abusing people. And you know we look at this and sometimes we think these guys that are abusing people are somehow winning. You know, it looks like they're getting somewhere. David, David started. Why do the heathen rage and the nations, you know, uh, abound? David didn't understand it. We don't understand it sometimes when we look at somebody and say, God, why are they getting away with it? But we need to be able to understand that in the long run, they're not getting away with it. They afflict them. This is verse 13. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silent in that time, for it is an evil time. And there are times when we as Christians just need to be silent because somebody who's being very wicked isn't going to listen to us anyway. And prudence, that whole idea of just having comprehensive, being wise, sometimes it is better to stay silent than to speak out. And yet at the same time, it's good for righteous people to speak out in most cases. But God says, understand, listen, know when it's time to speak out and know when it's time to be silent. And that's hard to do. It really is hard to do sometimes. Just say, God, is this the time to be silent? Or to speak up. And sometimes we speak up and it doesn't seem to do any good and we wonder if we did it right. <laughs> Other times we're silent when maybe we should be speaking up, and you know, the just shall live by faith, and all I can all we can do is walk in faith. Jesus was silent before Pilate. He was silent before the Sanhedrin and didn't say anything. You know, he says, I'm just gonna be silent. And it is a time to be silent, a time to speak, and time to know the difference. <laughs> and that's the hardest thing. Hard to, hard to understand sometimes what that difference is. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. So he says, seek evil. And this is that, back to that same seek. You know, seek with prayer and worship. Seek good and not evil. And there are a lot of people that seek evil, and almost to the point of worshiping evil. Let me see how bad I can treat anybody, not because I want to treat them bad, but because if I can take advantage of them, I get rich. I get what I want. And God says, no, don't seek after evil. And besides the fact that when you start seeking after evil, you get caught up in that evil. And this is the sad thing about sin and and evil. You go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and evil. You know, Every time you get get away with something, you go a little further. You get a little deeper because it loses its pleasure. And you have to go deeper. You take more advantage of people. You've got to get more wealth. You know, and, and this is the sad thing. If you're not happy with what you've got, you haven't learned to be content, nothing is enough. I need more money. I need more possessions. I need more more fame. I need more of this. I need more of that. Because you cannot fill the infinite, infinite space that God can fill with the finite stuff. And God says, Seek. Seek good that you may live. So the Lord the Host shall be with you as you have spoken. So God says, I want to be with you. This is the great thing about following God. He is with us. And There's a lot of people that will say, well, in the Old Testament, God wasn't with people. He didn't live in them. I go, I disagree. It sounds very much that God says, I want you. I want to live in you. I want to be so close to you. I think it was just a mentality difference in the way that the Greeks and the Hebrews looked at, you know, walking with God. And, you know, all through the scriptures, God wants to live with his people, speaking to them, being friends with them, loving them, guiding them. Not very many Jews did that because most of them worshipped the exteriors. Got to go to temple, got to go give my sacrifice, I've got to do these things, and God, look, God, I did I did everything you said. And, you know, when, when uh, King Saul went to Solomon, uh, Samuel, he says, God desires obedience rather than sacrifice. God doesn't want us following a bunch of rules. He wants us to be obedient to whatever he tells us to do. And of course, the rules are part of that. But if all we're doing is following the rules for following the rules' sake, we're not reaching God. And God doesn't want us just following rules and, and products. Verse 15: Hate the evil and love good, establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord says and says, thus, wailing shall be in the streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call upon the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing, and all the vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness, and not light. If a man did not flee from the lion, as as if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into the house, and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark, and no brightness in it. So here he goes, you know, seek after God. (laughs) You know, we look at this, hate evil, love good, and establish judgment in the gates. And maybe the Lord will be gracious to you. Amos is calling the people to repentance. He says, judgment is coming, but if you repent, God may hold back the judgment. And this is true all through scriptures that we look and God's saying, if I find the righteous, I will hold back judgment. In Noah's time, he didn't find enough righteous, so he destroyed the world. In Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's bargaining with God. God, if you find a hundred, fifty, you know, twenty-five, twenty, ten. God, if you could just find ten, would you spare the city? Now, I don't know if God would have went down lower or not. Abraham probably thought that there was at least ten righteous in the town because he was counting. His nephew to be righteous, probably his wife and the, and the two girls and then at least two daughters that were married, and he would hope that they were married to godly men. So I think he thought that there were ten people in the town that were righteous. And come to find out, there's not even four. Because she looks, the wife looks back, and the girls are not excited about what's happening in their life. So often God's saying, "I want to spare, I want to re- repent." Jonah preaches to, to the city of Nineveh. They repent, and he gets mad at God for repenting and not destroying the city. Amos is begging the people, repent, turn to God so destruction does not fall on you. And we see this over and over, and all we can do is give the, give the message. Repent. Give it to our family members. Give it to our coworkers. Repent. The time is coming that God is saying, you know, the judgment is falling, Will you repent? Will you turn to him? And maybe he'll forgive? And we know that he will, if they truly repent. And it says, The Lord the God of hosts shall says thus wailing shall be in the street and in the highway, and last the last they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and the skillful lamentators to mourning. He says, There's so much mourning that you're getting everybody. Yeah. And this is really kind of interesting because we see this even amongst Christians when things that bad happen, we start moaning and griping and complaining, and it's really bad in the world because they have no hope. And they will mourn and complain and gripe and, and have no hope to, at least with Christians, you might be able to point them back to God and say, turn back to God. He's got a plan. And the vineyard shall be wailing, and I will pass through you. Woe to them that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. The day of the Lord, the tribulation of Israel, the tribulation of Jacob, the, the day of the Lord. And people were going, well, I just want God to judge. And why was he telling this? Because they had a bad attitude toward it. They figured, well, God is going to defend them because they're Jews. And God's saying, no, I'm not defending you just because you were born a Jew. And this is what Paul says. Many of you that are Jews by name only aren't true Jews. You haven't been circumcised of heart. We see that Jeremiah says that. Isaiah says that. Many of the prophets say that. Turn to God. You're not just going to be his child because of the family you were born in. And we see this even in, you know, not so much in America anymore as it used to be, but there's a lot of people going, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm American. And there's a lot of people who think they're just because they were born into a Christian family, that's all it took. And I don't know why they didn't get the gospel. Maybe their family didn't do a good job, or their church didn't do a good job, or they weren't listening because of what they thought. And this is so important that we understand that God, it's been said, God has no grandchildren. He just has children. Okay? And you know, you talk to people, well, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, Grandpa was a pastor and Dad, Dad went to church all of his life. I go, that's not what I asked. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, Grandpa was a pastor. I'm going, that doesn't matter. You know, and here basically they're saying the same thing. You're Jews, but that really doesn't matter. Have you repented? Have you turned to God? And are you desiring this day of the Lord where God protects his people? And this is what's going to happen in the end time. Jews are going to fall... During the seven-year period, a lot of them, they're going to die. But God is going to protect his remnant of Jewish believers that believe in him. And he's going to pull them aside and say, these are my people. I protected them. God always protects the remnant during the storm. He protected the remnant, Noah and his family. He protect, protected Lot and was going to protect Lot's wife and the daughters until the wife looked back. You know, God protects His people. He and pulls them in and protects the remnants. Uh, Elijah, you know, told God, "I'm the only prophet that hasn't, that you know, the only one that's still following you that hasn't bent your knee." And he goes, "I've got, i got hundreds of people that haven't bent their knee. You guys just do what I'm telling you to do." And we see this over and over. They seek the day of the Lord. God, you're going to defend me. And Amos the same. you don't know what you're talking about. The day of the Lord is a dark time where God brings judgment. And if you're not his child, you're going to get caught up in that judgment and not be protected. And if any man did flee from the... From, it is as if a lion man fled from a lion and a bear met him. <laughs> All right, God, I'm running away from the lion. And he goes, you want that day of the Lord? You're going to run away from the lion and find a bear. Or... You're going to go into your house and you're going to put a hand on the wall and the serpent's going to bite you. In other words, they're saying, when that time comes, if you're not God's child, the bad's going to find you. And we get a lot of people that go, well, bad things just seem to always find me. Well, you might want to look at where you are with God. Because God says, you know, you run away from the lion, you get a bear. You get a, you're trying to run away from the bear, you get a serpent. Because in other words, you're going to die one way or the other. And you know, we see different movies about this where somebody gets away from one one death and walks right into another death. And it's scriptural. God says that when he starts seeking you, you might escape the first one, but you're not going to escape the second or third one. You're eventually going to face what he has in store for you and not, not to seek it. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. So when God brings down judgment, it's a dark time. It's going to be a dark time. We we read about the seven years of tribulation. I'm glad we're not going to be here as Christians. That's a miserable time to try to be alive. Starving, troubles with economics, uh, death everywhere, and God saying, it's going to be a dark time. Those who aren't for me are going to be against me, At a certain place, he marks his people and says certain things can't happen to them just as it did during the 10 plagues on Egypt where some of them fell on God's people and some of them did not. In the tribulation period, some of the things will fall on them and some of them won't. But he says, I'm going to protect. I'm going to mark these people and I'm going to keep to watch you. Verse 21. I hate and despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take you away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of of your vials. But let judgment run down as water and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have you offered unto me a sacrifice and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Shunem, your images, the star of your God, which was made to themselves. Therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So here we see God being very strong with the people. You now, I hate. And despise your feast days and your solemn assemblies. And this goes back to the very beginning where he says, don't go to Bethel, don't go to Gilgal. Don't go and do formalistic worship. He goes, I hate that. And God still hates formalized worship. You know, if we come to church just because that's what we're supposed to do, and don't listen to the word being preached or worship, go to a church where the word of God is not preached. In God saying, I hate these events. We have a lot of churches in our country that don't preach the Word of God, and I can picture God saying, I hate that church. Oh yeah, they've got good music, but I'm not paying attention to it because their worship isn't geared to me. And I've seen churches where they have a wonderful show. Everything is orchestrated. Everything is is planned. The the musicians are you know are part of whatever rock band you want to want to go? And they're putting on a show. And people aren't coming to God. They're going to the musician. They're being drawn to the musician. They're not paying attention to the word because the word isn't being spoken. And God says, I hate all of this. I hate all your formalistic worship. He goes, you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, and I will not accept them. I will not have any regard for your peace offerings. He goes down the list of the different types of offerings. He goes, I'm not even, you give me these offerings, I'm not even thinking about it, I'm not looking at them. You're killing these animals for no reason. And this is why it's important. We can give God a sin offering, we can give him prayers, we can confess our sins, but if we don't really mean it, God says, I'm not paying attention to it. Is our heart truly in our prayer? offerings. is our heart in our confession saying, God, you call it sin, I'm going to call it sin. God, forgive me. Give me direction. Help me learn to make you more and more Lord, and not just follow activities. And that's what he's telling them. I hate all your activities. I hate all. And then verse 20, and take away from me all the noisy songs that you're singing. You know, you're supposed to be worshiping me in your songs, and all I hear is noise. Been there, done that. I've seen that. And I'm not talking about certain styles of songs. I'm just saying sometimes all you hear is noise. And it can be hymns that end up being noise. It can be new new modern worship, quote unquote, worship songs. It can be noise. It can be anything that just is noise. Because it's not being lifted up to God. And God says, I don't want to hear any of it. I don't want your sacrifices. As a matter of fact, just stay out of my temple. I don't You know, you shouldn't even be here. And he called the people to go to the temple three times a year. And he says, come, worship me. But he's saying, I don't want any of this. I don't want. I'm not even listening to your instruments. I'm not listening to your songs. But he goes, if you really want to have it, let judgment run down as water and righteousness as the mighty streams. Come to me and take my righteousness. Come to me. He goes, I don't need all these other things. I really don't even like them. And it says, the one here, he says, I don't even smell the sweet savor. And all through the book of Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, God says, when you give your offerings, I will smell the sweet savor and it will please me. And here God says, I'm not even even smelling these things. You're so far from what you're supposed to be doing, I don't smell them. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. God's saying, yeah, I, you know, you, all, through the, all through the setting up of these sacrifices, God says, oh, it's sweet to me. You're offering yourself to me, and it's being represented in this animal. And if they're in, at the end, he's going, you're just going through the ritual. I don't want the animal. I don't want a dead, dead smelly animal without the, the, the savor of your repentance, the savor of your, of your really caring to serve me. And you know, he says, let judgment run down as water and righteousness in a mighty stream. You know, and he's saying over and over, come to me. Come to me with the right attitude, not just to worship him. You know, God is not looking for activities and formalism. As much as I believe in coming to church, if all you're doing is coming to church so you can say, God came to church, <laughs> checked off my box, I read my Bible today, check off my box. God, I spent 10 minutes in prayer, check off my box. And God's saying, none of that means anything to me. Do you want to do these things? Are you really desiring to come to me? And this is what it's all about. Don't bring me all these sacrifices, but choose to follow after me, God is saying. He says, have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You know, I think it could have gone a lot longer than 40 years because now we're going into hundreds of years. <laughs> he goes, Haven't you done this for a long time? All through the 40 year wandering of Israel, they offered sacrifices, but their heart wasn't really truly toward God. All through the hundreds of years that the judges ruled, their heart wasn't on God for the most of it. Korah and all his people are rebelled against Moses and are swallowed by the earth. They offered sacrifices to to foreign deities, and God struck thousands of them dead. It, you know, they were always a stiff-necked people. And God says, I've had enough of you. you know I mean, even when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the, getting the Ten Commandments, the people were rebellious, worshiping the golden calf, with all the sexual sin that went around along with worshiping a golden calf. And Moses comes off the mountain and gets angry with him. Moses had a lot of reason to be angry with the people because they kept rebelling against God every time they turned around. That has to be the perfect picture of us today. even. We do the same thing. Yeah. We do the same thing in our rebellion, our desire to follow other things, do other things. Nothing, Nothing changes. And hopefully we have a closeness with God that we will actually turn to him and repent. But not everybody does. Those who are really following after God, and this is why Jesus said many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You did all the rituals. Yeah, you went to the prison. You fed the hungry. You you clothed the, clothed the people. But you didn't have a relationship with me. You followed formalism. You did things because you thought they were the right thing to do. You know, Pastor, that was me for all them years. I was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's the way it is for most of, most people, especially until they get on fire for God. Talk about tradition and ritualism. And yeah. Hey, great priest, tell me what I need to do to get this forgiven and I will do it. You think you're a real hotshot? Yeah, because you did what it is that you were supposed to do. Yeah. Well, you told me I had to do these things. I did them, so now I'm forgiven. And we do the same thing even... Baptist and every other group does the same thing. We just do a little informally. Well, you know, if you really want to get right with God, you know, come to Sunday night and Wednesday night services. You really want to get right with God, join the choir. You know, let's show us how much you're focused on God. It's no different than Calvary Chapel or any of, them. any of them. Any group has this whole process of. You know, here's what you do if you really want to be a follower of God. And that's what I talk about. There's informal rules that get applied anywhere. And that's why I tell people they go, well, I can't make it to everything. I go, I never expect you to make it to everything. You know, if you make it to everything, then I'm going to be more worried about why you're making it to everything. Okay? Are you making it to everything because you think there's some righteous reason to be in everything? If you're here for everything because you want to be with God and hear the teaching, praise God. But if you're for everything because you think that this is how I show my devotion to God, you're you're down the wrong path. You're down the wrong path. Now, being here is probably better than not being here because we're going to teach the word of God and God's word does not return void. But if you're here for the wrong reasons, you're not hearing his word anyway. And that goes for, like you say, Calvary, the church I grew up in, there were people that went to everything. They were there seven days a week, you know, morning, 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 afternoon, and evening. And it's like, why? You know, why are you there? Well, you know, I just got to hear. I got to hear this speaker, that speaker, this speaker. I'm going, well, what are you doing with it all? If you're always here, what are you doing with it? And this is what God's saying. What are you doing with what I'm giving you? Are you just in the tabernacle, the temple? worshiping or, you know, giving me the sacrifices or are you actually worshiping? Are you actually seeking after me? He goes, your, your, your forefathers in the wilderness just kept offering these things because that was what they had to do. Moses was right there making them do it and it was not real. And then he goes in verse 26, it says, but you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch And your charm, your images, the star of your God, which you have made to yourselves. Therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity. So here he mentions two gods, which some people believe they're the same God. Moloch is the God of prosperity. You offered your babies to him in sacrifice to get get that uh, uh, benefit of him prospering you because you're willing to give up your child. Charn, some people believe he's the same, same god. He is also part of child sacrifice. But all of these gods go all the way back to Nimrod. And so he says, you've got these gods. And the star of your god, and this particular star, quite interestingly, is the two triangles that are put together, which is now associated with, the tri- with Israel. And this is something that he's saying, you know, I hate your images, your star to your God. And then he goes, therefore, I will cause you to go into captivity. You're worshiping your gods, and I'm going to put you into captivity. And he goes, the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts, the God of the army, the God of the, cap- of the, of the army of heaven. God has a plan. He wants to put things into effect. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless it. Help those who listen to this to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen.